Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner, Evan Prepares. We've got a guest with us on the line. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by both Hammer Nutrition and Ufos. I just recently finished another Conquer the Gauntlet Continuum. They're multi-lap race, about five hours long, and I fueled with Hammer Nutrition the whole time. Highly recommend it. Specifically, Perpetuum. It's a powdered fat-carb protein blend you mix into your drinks, and I drink one of those at the end of every lap. And then also their gels are really good. They have both caffeinated and non-caffeinated ones. They have a little bit of amino acids in there in addition to some complex carbs, kind of give you that steady burn of energy instead of sugar, which is like a spike and a crash. So I use those for both my Conquer the Gauntlet Continuum wins. And on top of that, I, after the race, I switched into my UFO shoes. The UFO shoes are recovery sandals. They reduce impact by 37%. Uh, they make both shoes, boots, sandals, slides, and clogs. I like the kind of slides because after the race, it's easy to slip them on rather than putting on another pair of shoes or keeping your wet shoes on. So check out Ufos, check out Hammer Nutrition. If you're going to order from Ufos, mention the Conquer the Gauntlet Protein sent you. If you're going to order from Hammer Nutrition, you can use referral number 240887 for 15% off your first order. All right, let's get to our guest. Uh, so this week we have Aaron Churchwell on. He's 33 years old from Atlanta, Georgia. Served nine years in the U.S. Army and three combat tours, and he's a sponsored angler for Tomcat Custom Rods Tackle, Southern Cats Apparel, Heroes Outdoor Therapy, Wade Southern Sauce, River Rat, Real Repair, D&T Customs, and owner of Partners in Slime. So basically, what I'm getting at is he's a pro or semi-pro fisherman, however you want to call it. The bottom line is he does fishing and he wins prize money. Uh, his most memorable accomplishments in the catfish industry would be winning the Cabela's king cat event on wheeler lake and placing ninth out of 200 boats winning the veterans big fish with a 79.8 pound blue catfish which is enormous at the mississippi river monsters tournament and his two biggest goals are to teach conversation conservation and select harvesting and grow the sport of catfishing as a whole so aaron welcome to the show thanks thanks for having me <clears throat> so funny well kind of funny story about aaron i knew him as sergeant churchwell when we were deployed to iraq back in uh, 2007 2008 kind of fell out of touch for a while and then uh, one of my other soldiers reconnects us on facebook and he, you're posting these pictures of these like freaking enormous fish right like like a 79 pound fish which is preposterously big so yeah they get they get a lot bigger than what people realize yeah insane um, so this episode, kind of an odd episode to be talking about, you know, as an OCR podcast, but so we're going to talk a little bit about fishing as a sport. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, how fishing has prize money and kind of how that relates to OCR and talking a little bit about sponsorships in fishing and again, how that relates to OCR. And then we'll finish up, uh, Aaron will maybe pass off some more stories from um, mine and his time together over in Iraq running around uh, having fun. So we'll get to all that. So let's start off with 
fishing as a sport. So like I literally know nothing about fishing besides what I learned in Boy Scouts and I have the fishing merit badge, no big deal. <laughs> but like, what does it look like as a sport? Can you kind of explain that? Um, okay. As a sport side of it, the, the tournament side of it, it's a, it's a set number of boats you're given conditions and a time frame, and it's whoever can catch the biggest bag of five fish. And that's, it's a little bit tricky in the catfish world because it's not like you go out and catch the five biggest fish you can. Um, a lot of the states across the country, they have what we call the 34 inch rule. So to protect their bigger brood fish, the ones that um, they protect those. So you're only allowed to have one fish over 34 inches in your possession at a time per person. So that makes it a two person team because you're allowed two fish over 34 inches and three under. So you're given a set condition set time frame and whoever can catch the biggest bag with two overs and what we call three unders wins the the tournament um right now a lot of the big tournaments you can walk away with minimum of ten thousand dollars for first place uh, we have a few tournaments throughout the year um one of them pays 30 to win it and another one pays 40 to win it so it's growing at a very fast rate. Um, a lot of people don't even realize that there are tournaments for catfish. But it's in the last – I've been doing it for about five years. So in the last five years, the growth of it has just jumped tremendously. But that's, that's pretty much a breakdown of it. Gotcha. And when you say there's a set time limit, are we talking like an hour? Are we talking a day? Are we talking several days? What's the general rule there? Eight hours. Okay. Eight hours. And that's it's during the day, too. A lot of people look at catfish and they think of going night fishing. It's, it's during the day. So it makes it a lot harder to target fish and, and put fish in the boat because you're doing it during the daytime. Okay. And then when you catch fish, <laughs> uh, let's say you catch a small one, can you throw it back and keep fishing? Is that part of yeah, the Yeah, yeah. You can cull throughout the day. So, you know, a, a lot of strategies for us guys are let's go out and get our five fish real quick. Um, let's get five fish in the boat, and then we can worry about chasing the really big fish. So, yeah, you can, you can trade fish out throughout the day. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> and when we were talking offline, you mentioned, you know, it's not as big as bass fishing, which, again, I know essentially nothing about fishing. So – you know, like what are some of the differences and, you know, why is bass fishing, I guess, so much bigger? Bass fishing so much bigger is because it's in a competition scene. It's been around for a lot longer. I think it's been around for almost 60 years. Um, and at this point now it's televised. So, you know, if you win a, a FLW tournament, you're winning $300,000. Um, it, it's, televised so you have a lot of what we call monetary sponsors um like wade southern sauce they have nothing to do with the fishing industry they make barbecue sauce and stuff like that that's a monetary sponsor so they pay tournament entry fees for me throughout the year for you know a select amount um but bass fishing is so big right now because it's televised and it it has 
it's like NASCAR. They've got Monster and Red Bull and Tide and Budweiser and all them backing anglers. So that's where all the money comes into it. That's why they're able to pay out such big payouts. And that's why it's a lot bigger than what the catfishing industry is. Gotcha. And why do you do catfish over bass? Just location? Well, I mean, no, it's not location. Uh, it's actually funny because we actually joke with a lot of the pro bass guys. Because um, we do we do seminars at, for Cabela's and Bass Pro and different stuff like that. And, and we'll meet a lot of the crappie and, and bass guys and everything like that. And we joke around with them. But um, the main reason for me is that this is my roots. This is what I grew up doing with my dad when I was a kid. So when I got out of the army, uh, I mean, when we were stationed at Campbell, that's some of the best catfishing waters right there outside Fort Campbell. I never even knew it. Um, but when I got out of the army, I got back into fishing. Um, and that was what I went back to is what I grew up doing. And plus our fish get way bigger than the bass. <laughs> <laughs> so but, do you think, those uh those major sponsors, I'm guessing they are involved in bass fishing just because it's more established and has been around longer. Is that would that be true? No, I think it's more publicity. You know, it's televised. It's it's you know it's all over everything you see when you think about fishing. Um, you know, you get on YouTube and you start looking at fishing videos, and you're going to see a lot more bass videos and guys that go out and bass fish, and they're going to. It's more out there in the public's eye. And that's one of the big things. Like, I don't know if you guys have monetary sponsors in OCR yet, um, where they pay for your travel and everything like that. Um, but as it gets televised and as it gets, it grows and it gets bigger, that's when those outside companies, that's when they start looking at it like, Hey, this is real advertisement. This is something we need to look into. Yeah, OCR is kind of interesting. We had actually a lot of races televised two years ago, and then it kind of peaked, and then it kind of dropped back off, and now they're, I think, just the Spartan National Series is televised. So yeah. uh, when it was televised, there was some big sponsors and some huge prize money. Um, there was like a bonus prize of $100,000 uh, for one of the 24-hour races um, that – Ryan Atkins and John Albin won, so they had to, they split the purse, um, so 50-50. But yeah. um, after they, we, we lost some TV rights, so Tough Mudder X was no longer televised, and Toughest Mudder was no longer televised, and World's Toughest Mudder is no longer televised. Um, a lot of the big monetary prizes dropped off. Um, so not sure where, as an OZR, I'm not sure where the industry is headed in the future. If that was a kind of a flash in the plan of, a fluke there or if that is you know maybe foreshadowing of things to come or maybe you know it's just ahead of its time and we'll we'll get there eventually again but yeah we'll see i don't know and then as far as actual yeah that's and, and that's one go ahead no and then as far as actual sponsors go it really depends on who you are as an athlete and what companies you can hook up with you know it's a lot easier to get a yeah. product sponsorship because the company knows your stuff their stuff is gonna get used and seen than it is to get a monetary sponsorship. So, um, you know, depends, depends on the person, depends yeah. on the company. 
<clears throat> yeah, and as far as the the growth, like you said, you you don't know maybe it grow grew too fast. I mean, we saw that in the catfish industry like two years ago. I mean, it we started getting some televised stuff. Uh, I don't know if you know who Bill Dance is. If anybody fishes, they they know who Bill Dance is. He's I have the, no idea who that is. I mean, I know Aaron Churchill. That's he's the, only the Godfather. <laughs> He's a he's the godfather of of bass fishing from forty years ago. Um, he actually does a lot in the catfish industry now. Um, he's pushing for a lot of a lot of regulations across the country and everything like that. But um, he he kind of paved the way. And whenever he first came out into the catfishing scene, we had a lot of you know Bill Dance is doing a fishing episode on catfish like that and it all kind of started to get bigger and then it just kind of slowed back down again so i mean it's got its ups and downs i know eventually it'll get to that point um and that's all you have to do is just stick with it and, yeah i think that's you know, the same thing with ocr you know i mean you may do it for four or five years and not see any growth in it but the growth is actually there you just have to be looking for it i think that's that's great advice not only as a company but also as an athlete right like i mean it was yeah. You knew me back in 2007, right? 2007, 2008 time frame. And uh, six, seven. Yeah, 2007 six, to 2008, yeah. Yeah. And like I've been working out so long. Like a lot of times you, don't, you can't see the physical progress when you look at it even at a couple months at a time. You know, but I look back, yeah. you know, two years ago and I'm like a completely different level than I was two years before that. And, um, a lot of it's just about persistence and back. Yeah. Back when we were working out in a gym, in a tent. <laughs> That's right. In Iraq. Right. Yeah. So you, you've always been fit, right? Like you said, we used to, you know, we used to drink some no explode and then head to the, uh, the, uh, tent gym there in Mahmoudi, Iraq. Um, is fishing physically taxing, right? Cause I mean, pulling out an 80 pound fish out of the water has got to be, I mean, that's got to be hard. Like, do you, do you do any physical training to prepare for fishing or is it just um, your natural? I think it's more mental. I think it's more mental than physical. Um, I'm still, like like I was saying, I'm still physically fit from when I was in the military. Um, I don't physically work out. I mean, I, leave, I, I live a, a active lifestyle, but I don't go to the gym. I don't run anymore or anything like that. Um, but as far as mentally fit, there, there's a lot that goes into fishing a tournament. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, things that lead up to before the tournament. <clears throat> a lot of times we'll leave five days before the tournament and we're out there just trying to put a pattern on fish that we can, you know, come tournament day that, you know, hey, they were doing this throughout the week. So you spend a lot of time out there. I mean, there's days where you'll spend 20 hours out there on a body of water just going and just looking and putting pieces of the puzzle together so i would say it's more mentally than physically yeah i mean doing anything for that stretch of time is physically is, is mentally exhausting whether it's reading or typing or running you know that's that is a severe mental drain yeah. and i actually released a mud run guide article about a year or two ago uh, that talks about essentially a bunch of scientists did an experiment where they stressed people out mentally, had them do like a, uh, a test on a computer where they had to click buttons and then had them do a physical event afterwards 
and they found that those who were stressed from doing the mental event beforehand performed worse physically during the event because their mind was tired, which meant their body couldn't push as far. So kind of interesting. Yeah. There. Now, when you say, the, uh, you know, you go out to the, is there any equipment that's illegal, right? Like, can you use like radar and stuff like that to find the fish or is it, um, <clears throat> their rules? No, against- you can use, uh, no, you can use, um, depth sonar and, yeah. and sonar and stuff like that. Um, it, and it's, it's kind of crazy the technology we have today, um, as far as finding fish, but you can always find fish. You can't make them eat. So that's a, there's a fine balance, um, between relying on your sonar and relying on gut instinct. So, I mean, you can go out and find an 80 pound fish, but the odds of you actually getting him to eat is a lot less than, than what people think. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's no, you can't, it has to be on rod and reel. That's the main rules. You can't go out and do like the old timers used to and use nets and put them out across the river and then wave fish in off that. Um, but it has to be rod and radio. I can't so drop C4 depth charges into the water. Blow them no, up. no, <laughs> no. DNR, DNR will get you for that one. <laughs> I guess my other question about fishing, right? Like growing up, all I, it just seems very random to me. Like I feel like, Obviously, there's skill involved because you're doing well and you're you're catching these huge fish. But like, what what's this? What do you do to find bigger fish? I guess that I just don't understand because I'm such a novice fisherman here. It, it all it, it it all comes down to learning conditions and what moves fish. Um, the easiest way to break it down for you is barometric pressure. Ninety percent of people don't look at barometric pressure because it doesn't affect your day-to-day life. Um, but as far as a creature being underwater, uh, barometric movement has a lot. Uh, you know, when you swim down to the bottom of the pool and your ears start hurting. Mm-hmm. Okay. When, when barometric pressure changes, if it rises, then it makes the pressure underwater even greater. And everything that affects how deep or how shallow a fish goes is in his air bladder. So the same pressure that you get on your ears, they get on their air bladder. So at normal pressure, it's normal feeling to them. At a high pressure, it's a lot greater feeling, so they'll move shallower. So, And that's in your bigger fish. Your smaller fish can still move freely throughout the water column with whatever barometric. Um, but barometric would probably be the greatest attribute to where fish move to gotcha so yeah there's a there's a skill in to it a lot of people think that it's there's a lot of luck to it but there, there's there's a skill to be able to travel all over this country because every body of water fish is different so what works on one body of water may not work on another mm-hmm. so every body of water fish is different so being being able to travel all over this country and successfully putting fish in the boat wherever you go, that's how you can tell when somebody has skill or they're fishing off luck. Gotcha. Interesting. <clears throat> and then as far as the lure or bait, you know, what are you using to get catfish? 
I always, I live my life by, it's called match the hatch. So like on the big rivers, so Mississippi, Missouri, Ohio, Tennessee River, all those rivers that are intertwined together, we have what's called skipjack herring, which is a really good bait for those river systems. I can take skipjack herring, bring it to my home body of water here on the Coosa, and I won't catch fish on it. So you match what is in the water column at that time. Hmm. So it changes throughout the year. Interesting. Now let's uh, hit up some more crossover points with OCR. Now I, on your bio, I'm listed off, you know, probably half a dozen sponsors. How did you get those sponsors and kind of what, what recommendation do you have, whether they're a fisherman or an OCR athlete for, you know, people trying to get sponsors or product to help support them or reduce costs in their racing or competing? I'm, I have become really good friends with the company, the owners of the companies that I fish with over the last few years. And this from their mouth and from me being a business owner that I do sponsor people. I think the biggest thing is they don't want to sponsor somebody that's never read the product. Because when you look at somebody that's never used a product and they come to a company and say, Hey, you know, Hey, I want to, use your guys's product and, you know, push it to other people and everything like that. They don't have any, they don't have any experience with the product. So when you have somebody that's used the product before they approach them and then they approach them, they have their own, you know, Hey, I've used it. This is the experience I've got out of it. And I think that that's a, a, for them to try to put it in other people's hands, they have their own experience. So it's easier for them to, you know, Hey, this is why you need this product. This is what it does for me. I've been using it for this long and such on. So I think it's the biggest thing is, is, is reach out to a company for a product that you use. Um, every company that I, I've fished for, I've other than Wade Southern sauce. Um, every one of those companies, I use their products before I ever approached them. So I think that was the easiest thing for me was having hands-on experience with it before I went to them. Um, and in the fishing industry, I know we don't like seeing people that just jump from one product to another product, to another product, to another product, because in all honesty, it makes them look bad. So, you know, find a product that you like and stick with that company. Don't, come forth and having a good resume too. I mean, have, have a good resume for yourself, something that you can send them and they can sit down and read it and be like, okay, I want to talk to this guy and then go from there. Yeah. I think you said some good stuff there, especially obviously using the product. And then you also mentioned actually reaching out, <laughs> reaching out to the company. You know, I've had people be like, Oh, why, why are you sponsored? And I'm not, and I'm, yeah, I have better results than you. And it's like, did you ask the company? And they're like, no, it's like, well, you should probably yeah. ask the company. If you don't ask them, you know, there's, unless you're a really big name in our sport, like people aren't approaching you, you need to reach out to them. And honestly, I've, you know, I have my little strength and speed thing and we have some athletes in there and the athletes that I, they, they approached me typically do a better job than if I approached them because it shows interest in their part versus me trying to convince them to, you know, you know, get on board with, uh, yeah, mo most, yeah, 
Yeah, most of the time when they approach you, there's actually willpower that they want to be on that that team, that they want to use that product, and they want to, you know, be the face of that product. So they're going to give you a better result out of it than somebody that you reach out to and said, hey, here, let me send you this and try this. Let me know what you think. Right. So. I also like what you said about brand loyalty. You know, I think I think that's important too. You know, I've been, like I said, this episode is brought to you by Hammer Nutrition. I've been using their products <laughs> since 2014. And I used them before they sponsored me. And, uh, you know, I've been with them since then. Yeah. They've just been great and just have an absolutely phenomenal product. That It's actually, I can't find a comparable one in the uh, endurance nutrition world. Uh, so, Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, and that, that, that's, as a company owner myself, when you see somebody that just from one product to another, it looks like they're looking for the freebies. Yep. That's, that's all it looks like they're doing. It doesn't look, look like they actually have interest, interest in building that company more. Right. So, so you, you mentioned a couple of times your company is Partners in Slime. So what is that exactly? Partners in Slime is a, it's a product line of tournament grade tackle um, that there's a lot, a lot of people think about catfishing and they think about going out there, putting an anchor down and sitting there for hours and waiting. Um, there's actually a lot of ways to target catfish. One of them is drifting. Um, and that's where you're covering water. You're moving the boat. You're going and looking for those fish. Our first product that we brought to the line is they're called cat draggers. It's a dragging weight. So it's a specialized weight that you can actually put it on the bottom of the lake and drag it across the bottom of the lake and it doesn't get hung up. <clears throat> so, and then our, our other product that we just came out with a few months ago is a choline system. So throughout the day when you're fishing a tournament, if you've got like, for instance, Lake Watery in South Carolina, that thing is full of 10 pound fish. So when you're in there and you've got five 10 pound fish in the live well, <clears throat> instead of having to pull every single one of them out and weigh every single one of them every time you catch a fish, we have a coaling system that goes on the fish and then it's got a different color on each one of them. So as you catch the fish, you weigh it, put the coaling system on it and be like, okay, orange weighs 10.2 pounds, green weighs 10.3 and such on. And then when you catch a fish and you're like, okay, he's 10.4. So I know my littlest one is the orange one. Let's get the orange one out, let him go put this one in the orange one, you update your system, put them in the live well, and you're back to fishing. Gotcha. <clears throat> cool. So we have some other products that we're working on now. So, I mean, it, we've January, we started the business. So it's, it, it, it blew up really fast for what I was expecting. I didn't expect it to get that big overnight. So it took us a lot of time to, be able to keep up with our orders and everything like that. So we've had to try to slow down on putting new products out there, but it's a tournament tackle business, I guess you could say. Gotcha. And how important is social media to the fishing industry? Like I, I guess in my head, I'm picturing fishing guys as being older and not necessarily on social media, but I feel like that may be a, misinterpretation so like what's the average age of the guys you're competing against and then 
again, how important is social media? There actually isn't really a average age. I mean, our age variation is huge. I mean, we have guys that are 21 years old all the way up to 70 years old that fish. Um, but as far as social media, I think that is the number one contribution to building your own name in the sport. Um pretty sure that's the same way across the board in anything yeah oh. um because it's so easy to meet people all over the country that you would never have a chance to meet social media and they can know who you are what you've done and everything so i have people come up to me at tournaments all the time and be like hey you're aaron churchwell hey <laughs> what's your name <laughs> But it's people that I meet off Facebook or they follow me off Facebook and, and it's it's an easy way to, to how do you say that? Connect with people, I'd say. Yeah, I connect with people and build your reputation as an angler. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. So what's your social media handles just so in case someone wants to get them excited about fishing? I have Facebook. Well, and then I honestly don't even remember what my Instagram is. <laughs> I want to say it's Aaron Churchwell. <laughs> Primarily Facebook, I guess. Yeah. Yes, yes. I don't. I hardly use Instagram. And then the partners in slime. Uh, I'm guessing you have a website, or we have a Facebook page for that. Um, we're in the middle of setting up a website now, so it'll be a few weeks for that. Um, but we have a business page on on Facebook for partners in slime. So. So you mentioned some of the prize money from fishing or catfishing specifically. Uh, just out of curiosity, what's the largest prize you personally have won? Fifty seven hundred is what I brought home from Mississippi River Monsters. I fish for a company that's called Heroes Outdoor Therapy, and and they so you can find. Veterans that that are, I don't, that are down on their luck and they don't know what to do when they get out of the military, and you see a lot of guys turn to alcohol, turn to drugs, stuff like that. What they do is they connect veterans that are lost with people in the outdoor industry, and they started Heroes Outdoor, and it's a nonprofit organization, and they pay the travel part of it. Because a lot of these guides and these resorts and stuff like that, they'll give away trips for these vets to come fish with this guy for three days or go on this hunt for this you know period of time and all that. The problem was is a lot of these guys didn't have the money to get there. So Heroes Outdoor, they they raise money, pay the 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 travel money for them. So they'll buy them a plane ticket to fly out there or something like that. Well, to help grow their their business, he got into the fishing industry and they put it's kind of like a prize thing together for the veteran that catches the biggest fish. And they donate five hundred dollars to it. In Memphis last year, whenever they got up on the stage at the captain's meeting and said that they were going to, you know, donate this $500, 
everybody from the tournament just started going up there and handed them money and all this. And it ended up being $3,300 oh, wow. total. And I mean, you know, talk about, you know, talk about make a veteran cry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was back there like, Holy moly, you know, this is, this is crazy to see, you know, the sport that I love so much stand up for its veterans. And that was the very first big fish pot that they had done. And it raised $3,300. And little did I know the next day that um, we were going to catch that 78.9, which won that. So we won the veteran big fish. We won ninth place out of, it was over 200 boats. And what else was it? There was another thing that we won there too. So it was, it was like $5,700 total that we come up home with. So that's pretty awesome. And I know in the OCR industry, there are similar uh, nonprofit organizations that do stuff like that. I'm not, I haven't actually looked into yeah. what they provide, but I know like Operation Enduring Warrior and there's like uh, Veterans Overcoming Obstacles and there's some other ones that, um, you know, if anyone's a military veteran and looks, wants to get into that or, you know, I, I think what you said about veterans getting out and, you know, going towards drugs or alcohol is, you know, pretty spot on. You know, the military definitely has a, heavy drinking culture, right? Because you're not allowed to do drugs because you get drug tested all the time. Um, but drinking is like yep. socially acceptable and almost a norm. Like when I tell people I work with, I don't drink. They look at me like I'm, I'm weird, right? Like they want to know why they want to like, am I an alcoholic or what's the deal? And it's like, no, I just, I just do a lot of fitness <laughs> and you know, winning DUIs you got. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's what they, yeah, that's what they want to know. It, it's a math equation to me, right? Like I'd rather win then uh drink and you know one drink's probably not gonna hurt my chances at winning but like it's not gonna help it either so um you know i just I yeah just, uh, but you know yeah that was i, I don't know if you remember because when when you left the platoon when we got back you went to school didn't you or you were or you went to your group or something i don't remember yeah, i went to uh i went to the captain's career course and then i went to q course special forces training yeah, so I mean, when we got back, I was drinking heavy the rest of the time I was in the military. And when I got out, the biggest thing for me was I went to a bar one night and I looked around and I was like, this is not the same without my boys. Yeah. And that was the last time I went to a bar. Yeah. And that was, I mean, I'll still drink a beer here or there, but I don't think I've actually went out and got tore up like I used to since I got out of the military. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, back to what you were saying about when people get out of the military and they, they turn to alcohol or drugs and stuff like that. That's what heroes outdoors trying to get people away from uh, Leslie and her husband, Troy Leslie did the same thing. She got out. She was in the Marines. She got out and turned to alcohol and, finally started getting into the outdoors and fishing and stuff like that. So that's what she saw helped her. So that's what they're trying to do is help other people that, that get out and they don't have a direction or drive or anything like that. And, and show them that there's other things out here you can do other than that. There's other people out here that'll be there by your side, you know? So. Yeah. yeah I mean, when I got my first came back from my first deployment, we knew before I got back from Iraq, we knew when we were going back to Iraq before I knew the date I was coming home. So it, like one deployment ended and they're like, all right, 
Yeah, they're like, you're going back in September. It's like, it's, it's September right now. Like, what do you mean I'm going back? You know, like we're going back a year later. <laughs> so when we got back from that deployment, you know, you're, you're like, you're hundred percent going back to Iraq in a year. So, I mean, we, we partied, we, we partied hard, right? Like, you know, yeah. you, could, you could be dead next year. So might as well live it up while, while we can. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it, it yeah. builds, it builds bad habits that, uh, some people have trouble <laughs> yes. later in the future. So yeah. back to talking about sponsorships real quick. Uh, would you, you know, winning a $5,700 prize is pretty impressive. Would you say you get more benefits from sponsors or from prize money from, uh, competitions? Right now I would have to say the, the way the industry is, is from prize money. Okay. Um, there's not a lot of anglers out there in, in this industry that actually have companies that will pay a few tournaments of the year or pay your gas and stuff like that. So I think across the board, I would have to say prize money. Gotcha. So. I'd imagine that varies depending on how good of a fisherman you are, right? Like if you're maybe a couple, you know, obviously if you're your level or better, you know, the prize money is going to be better. But um, if you're, Maybe not, you're not as winning those big yeah, purses. There's, yeah. Yeah. Cause there's, I mean, there's a lot of guys that just fish what we call local tournaments that are on one body of water once a month. And, you know, they may walk out of there with four or $500 if they win one. Um, but the level, so we fish what we consider the national trail, which is the Cabela's trail. And even on a, bad tournament where only 30 boats show up you're still going home with like four or five thousand dollars so hmm. pretty good when they determine prize money do they do is there a fixed prize or is it uh like a percentage of people that enter like you know they take 10 it, it, it varies with the number of boats that enter okay so it, it varies with the the number of boats now with the national trail the city puts money into it so the city pays Cabela's to come there and have a tournament, um, which in return brings revenue to them through, you know, taxes and people staying in hotels and, you know, staying there. Um, so they'll, they'll put money into the pot. And then the bigger number of boats that you can get, the bigger winning that you'll get. Gotcha. Yeah. Right now in OCR world, there's no races that I know of that are like that where, you know, for every person that enters, like the prize purse goes up. It's just, they typically have fixed prizes. Um, I'm not sure who's putting up the money, whether, uh, you know, it's the company or the sponsors or whatever. I think a lot of our TV ones, it was the sponsors, which is why you saw, you saw those larger prizes or maybe the TV, TV company themselves. I'm, I'm really not sure, but. The, those cities pay those companies to bring those there too. Mm. They do because the, 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 the revenue that they make off of it is, is greater than what the money they put into it is. Interesting. So they're, they're willing to, you know, Hey, we'll give you $5,000 to come, you know, bring that obstacle course here and set it up and everything because they know, I don't know how many days your guys' stuff lasts, but a lot of times on one of the Cabela's tournaments, it's going to be five days. You're going to be there pre-fishing for three to four days and fishing the tournament. And then a lot of times, because of what time we get done and depending on how far away it is, we'll stay another night before we leave to come home. <clears throat> so it could 
be six days that you're there. Oh, wow. Interesting. All right, so we're going to start wrapping things up. Before we let you go, though, um, maybe I'll have to edit this part out depending on what you say next. Um, if you have any fun war stories, right? I mean, we spent 14 months together running around uh, Mahmoudia, which is basically the first city south of Baghdad. Um, I think a lot of my listeners don't know me necessarily from those days, right? A lot of them met me in 2015 or later. So um, it, if you have any- Well, I'll give you, I'll give you three. I'll give you three different ones so that okay. you can edit out any of them if you want to. Okay. Uh, I think the most memorable thing that we went through there was the fire. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, when <laughs> we lost everything we owned in the middle of a combat zone, that was that's something you never forget. Yes, um, I mean we lived in a tent, and the tent next we had two tents. Our platoon, you were in the further tent. I was in the near tent, and the yeah, and the next damn, to the the damn tent, cooks, the cooks. <laughs> They they said they had too many things plugged in or something. I don't know. I think one of them may have been smoking yeah. and passed out or something. And uh, <laughs> the tent just went up, and then it lit the next tent on fire. And luckily, that was it. Those two tents burned to the ground. And I mean, I remember I remember you literally yeah. lost everything, right? Like you're, you're like I need a uniform. I was I was wearing Hawaiian swimming. <laughs> I just got out of the shower. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I was wearing Hawaiian had... swimming trunks and a... yeah, most of the other guys had a uniform yeah, on, was... but you were, I specifically remember you. Yeah. in those Hawaiian shorts. Yeah. Cause I had just lit, I went to the gym, came out of the gym, went and showered. I think I gave myself a haircut and then I showered and I walked out and the little Hindu dude was like, they missed a missed a fire. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> yep. There's a fire. Yeah. But, uh, that or, Another PG-13 one would probably uh, probably be mudding, going out in the rainstorms and mudding. And Pennington got a truck stuck every time. Your driver got a truck stuck every time. My driver um, used to scare the crap out of me. <laughs> well, it, that, that rollover incident, which I wasn't even in the vehicle that rolled into the canal. We had a, essentially, we had a vehicle roll into the canal, um, almost killed everyone inside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So – almost killed everyone inside, right? Like I ran to the vehicle to pull these guys out and the vehicle is like three quarters of the way underwater. And I'm convinced, you know, four of my guys are drowning on the other side of a door that I can't get open. Yeah. Um, so we eventually got them out. Um, all four of them survived, which if there was a fifth person, I don't think the air pocket would have been big enough for all of them to be above the water. <laughs> um, so th especially that sort especially with Chisholm. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> My, my, one of my squad leaders, Sergeant Rauch, jumps in the water and tries to like go swim underneath to op get them out that way. Um, but the canal was essentially like wastewater, right? It's like black sewage water. And uh, this is the best part. It was part. our sewage water, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know where, where it was coming from. But um, we, were, we, were in the, we were going towards a raid. So, you know, we essentially pulled security on the truck after we saved everyone. And then we went on the raid still. And Sergeant Rauch, like, we clear a room, make sure there's no bad guys in there. And Sergeant Rauch's like, hold on a second. And he, like, throws up in the corner. And I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, I'm good. And then, we, like, we would continue the raid after, after him dry heaving. It was awesome. We made fun of him later for it. But at the time, it was, it was pretty awful. <laughs>
Anyway, yeah. So the- and then I'd say the not PG, the not PG thirteen would probably be. Was it Kaka Apartments? Was that the ones that? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, there was Kadasia and there was yeah. uh, Kaka. That's Q A Q A. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the night at the Kaka when they told us don't be there after dark and we found the cache and yep. all hell broke loose. Yeah, basically we got we got shot at from another rooftop. Um, luckily we had, a, you know, we had the foresight to put people up on the roof to provide overwatch. So we got into a small firefight there and Sergeant Rock again, the guy who's throwing up uh, on the, on the other raid, um, <laughs> you know, we, he, he maneuvered his way to the top of the apartment and, uh, tossed a grenade up there and, uh, ended the incident for the, uh, At, bad guys there. Actually the Iraqi army forced us to go over there. Into Kaka. We were like, no, 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 don't. Yeah, well, no, to go across over into the apartment building. Ah, okay. Me and Route were pinned down in that little market area, and we told the Iraqi army, stay, stay, stay. And then they just took off running, went in the building. We're like, we can't leave them. Let's go. Ah, but that is good. So, yeah, that's a, that's a, I didn't know that part. I remember Petch was, Petch, Petch was yelling at us on the radio, don't go across that road, don't go across that road. So. Yep. That was a good. That was. I haven't talked to Sergeant Pitch in a long time. That was a good time. It was also so after that. Um, you know, we didn't. I didn't. We had the fifty cal machine gun on the top of the trucks, which I didn't shoot. We didn't shoot in the apartment complex, <laughs> not because I was trying to avoid damaging anything, but because my gunner couldn't see the angle he was at. He just couldn't see the guy shooting right. And I remember after that, my battalion commander was like, "Great job not shooting the fifty cal." And I was like. In my head, I was like, we didn't shoot because he couldn't see, not because I was like, I, I mean, I would have, I would have leveled, I would have leveled that building to, to get to that guy. But uh, air support was taking too long to get to us. But, yeah. That, but that story is. the army were not scared to shoot the Dishka that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, uh, for those of you, who've been, for those of you who've been to Iraq, the, uh, there's a move we call the death blossom. And um, basically, when some of our partner force makes contact, sometimes they just shoot in all directions, right? Because so it looks like a death blossom. Right? Um, and depending on how long you've been working with your partner force, sometimes they have a little more controlled fires, and other times they just shoot everything. So it's a it's a, yeah. it's, a it's an acquired skill. You uh, you got to work towards you know fire control and stuff like that. But yeah, that story is actually not in my book. Um, I left that one out, uh, but you get to hear it here. Uh, but there's a lot, plenty of other good stories in there. Uh, finding mass graves, a bunch of other caches we found. And, um, yeah, I'll just, never forget that smell. Yeah. So that, that's in the book and the, uh, going into the hospital morgue with their, uh, which essentially it's a metal box. Oh my word. Don't even remind me of that. <laughs> oh, metal box word. out behind the hospital. Um, where the, we were, we were gagging a hundred meters away from it. <laughs> That's a good story too. You can read about that one in my book. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. All right. I'm going to have to order that book, sir. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, you guys, I don't, I can't remember. I don't, I didn't name too many of the guys in the platoon. I named a couple of them. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. you'll bring back some good memories. So if, if anyone wants to copy yeah. that book, uh, you can head over to teamstrengthspeed.com in the online store. Book's called Ultra OCR Man from Special Forces Soldier to Record Setting professional obstacle course racer. So it was about two chapters and they're about military war stories. And then the rest of the book is a lot about 
Ultra OCR and raising money for the charity Folds of Honor, providing scholarship money for children whose parents were killed or wounded in action. Aaron, uh, thanks for coming on. Before I let you go, any final shout outs you want to give fans, family, sponsors, et cetera? No, I mean, I just want to thank everybody in the fishing industry that stands behind me. So that's, that's pretty much it. Right on. Well, Aaron, it was great catching up with you. And uh, hopefully I'll see you sometime in the future. And we, I, like we were talking about offline, there's a big race in Atlanta, 24 hours of World's Toughest Mudder, which I'll be at this year. So maybe we can link up or something, grab some lunch or dinner. Let me, let me know, sir. I'll come down there and hang out. So Yeah. There's a lot of good suffering there. It's so good. A lot of sad faces yeah. when, the, uh, when the temperature drops. <laughs> it's a good time. We'll bring back, bring back some memories of the military cool. and suffering in the field. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll catch up with you later. Uh, thanks again for coming on. All righty.